It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program and with me in the KFC studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. When you reach age 73, and it's soon to be age 75, you're required to withdraw at least a minimum amount out of your pre-tax retirement accounts because they want to tax you on that income. So are there any things that you can do to reduce or avoid that requirement? We're going to cover that and many other questions on today's show. That's right. That's right. If you have a question for the program, we'd love to hear from you. You can submit them in a few different ways. Call or text 574 2000 at 574-222-2000 online, wisemoneyshow.com. There's a spot where you can submit a question right there. It turns into an email, comes right to me, goes into the queue. That's how it all works. You didn't ask, but I just told you. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. You can submit questions there. Most of the questions come on the YouTube channel. Appreciate that. So Facebook, YouTube, wherever, search the Wise Money Show and uh, connect with us that way. Bernadette reached out to the website and submitted her question that way. We've done a show on this before, but it doesn't get old. And part of the reason why is they just keep changing the rules. So here's what she reached out and asked. Are there exceptions that allow someone to not draw out their required minimum distribution? Now, we're going to get into these, but I just want to tell you how unfair the tax system is. How can there be an exception to something called required? <laughs> it's a required minimum distribution. But listen, the U.S. tax code is full of rules and then exceptions to those rules. And then there are exceptions to the exceptions. This is the most complicated tax law system on the entire planet. And if you think that gets uh, is confusing... Wait till we tell you how the insurance world works. <laughs> okay, can I just, just just for context, most insurance policies that are written where they say, we cover nothing except we'll cover these couple of things, except we won't cover these couple of things. That, I'm, not, I'm not lying. That is how yeah. nope, your homeowner's insurance is written. That's how your auto truth. insurance. We will cover nothing mm-hmm. except for these couple of things. Except we're not going to cover these couple things. So, all right, that's a tangent. Okay, are there exceptions <laughs> that allow someone to not draw out the required minimum distribution? There's a few. Let's get into it. Well, do we need to unpack and remind people what in the world these required minimum distributions are? Because that is jargon, if there ever was such a thing. And it may not have even applied to you yet because you're in the accumulation stage of, of life. You're building your retirement nest egg for the future. And maybe you haven't even given that much thought to... Down the road, someday, you're going to start living off of this money. And uh, you, you may not even realize that the government is actually going to force your hand uh, at some point. And that some point is now age 73. It is increasing to age 75 in, in uh, upcoming years here. But at age 73, all the money that you've been accumulating, let's say in your 401k, or maybe you have a traditional IRA, and you've been using that as a, an investment vehicle because it's a tax shelter for you. It allows that money to grow without being interfered with, I'll say, by the IRS. You're not having to pull out chunks of money from that account to pay some taxes along the way as it's profitable, as it's growing, that kind of thing. 
And uh, unfortunately, though, you don't get to have that shelter forever. Eventually, the government wants to tax you on that money. And so at age 73, there's a calculation that's done every single year. It has to be redone every year because the divisors change and your account balances change and, and whatnot. But every year, a minimum amount has to be pulled out. And that income that's coming out to you has to be reported on on your tax return. And that's the whole point, yep. right? The government wants to eventually tax those dollars that have been out of their reach for so long. Um, but as you point out, Mike, even though it's called a required minimum distribution, there have been some, I'll call them loopholes or ways to kind of dodge a little bit of the taxation on this. And, um, and that's what you and your certified financial planner need to be strategizing over. You need to be having a conversation every single year on, hey, I've got this money that I've never paid tax on. I need to live on some of it. And there may be some other things I need to do with this money. How do I do it as tax efficiently as possible? Now, know that the it stands for required minimum distribution, not required maximum distribution. So a couple of things to point out. If you are already in retirement at, at or after age 73, and you're drawing a chunk out of your pre-tax retirement accounts to supplement your other income, if that amount exceeds your required minimum distribution, then great, you've covered it. I have some people where they're drawing a certain amount out and then they get this letter from their IRA company saying, you've got to take this required minimum distribution and they take that out too. <laughs> where you've doubled, you've, you've kind of taken twice as much or, or significantly more than what you need to. No, no, no. Um, and then it, it, it's also not a... Um, yeah, so I, I guess I would just leave it there. That make sure you're working with your CFP. You're doing that calculation every year, and if you are already pulling enough out, you're fine. Don't worry about it. It's the folks that no, we're we don't need to pull this money out. We've got enough cash flow coming from dividends and pensions. Maybe if we we're fortunate and have Social Security, we don't need this money. And yet I'm required to do it. What are some ways to get around it? Well, uh, you jumping in. Yeah, I mean there is one there is there's there are actually I'm going to say there are two retirement plans that don't have a required minimum distribution. Yep. Do you agree? Yeah. Which which ones would those be, Josh? The Roth IRA. Whoa! Nice job. We, we love that one. Yep. But also a 401k if you're still working for that employer. Oh, he's great. Right? Yeah. So so one way to avoid uh having to pull money out of of these accounts is have your money in accounts that don't have that requirement attached to them. We talk about the Roth IRA all the time, mm -hmm. right? We, this is one of the things we love about the Roth IRA because the government isn't forcing your hand. They're not making you pull money out at a certain time. And it's because there's no financial incentive for them to make you pull the money out, right? Because they're not going to get to tax you on those dollars on the way out of the Roth IRA. Some people believe and have thought for a long time they're going to change the rules on the Roth because they want you to draw the money out and put it in some place else where it can be taxable. They haven't been that cruel just yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can keep working. You can keep working. If you have a 401k and that's where the bulk of your dollars are, you can just keep working. That's not a um, that's not the typical strategy. Most people don't love that idea, especially as they push the age back. Uh, that becomes less and less realistic, although to each their own. And we've certainly had clients, great friends who've said, yeah, I'm going to keep working because I, I don't need this money and I like what I do and whatever. So, and then the other strategy that you, yeah, you mentioned is 
having as much of it in Roth IRAs as possible. One of the strategies that we love is contributing to Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, doing Roth conversions, so that by the time you get to age 73, you have very little, if anything, left in pre-tax retirement accounts, so therefore no RMD, or your RMD is so small, it really doesn't move the needle on your tax picture. I'm not a fan of having all your money in a Roth IRA. No. Are you? Depends on the situation. Dude, what? If you could, if you did, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, it it could mean that you paid more taxes than you had to. It could mean that. Do you know why? Why? Be- because money in a Roth IRA has already been taxed. Correct. So you paid tax somewhere along the line, either when you earned it and contributed, or maybe you did the Roth conversion idea that, that mm-hmm. Mike was talking about. But if you literally have paid tax on all of the accounts and at, at one point or another, then you don't get to take advantage of one of the other items on the list. Standard deduction? I was going to say qualified charitable distributions. Yeah. If in retirement you are charitably inclined, you support your local church or there's an organization that you just believe in their mission and you're giving to them regularly, there's a way for you to actually give without paying any tax on the distributions that come out of your IRA. You can send money from your IRA directly to the church and have it not even counted as income on your tax return. It's called a qualified charitable distribution. Now, that hasn't been around forever. It still feels fairly recent to me. Um, But the the point is, it's a way for you to... You never paid tax on those traditional IRA dollars, and if you send them off to the charity because you were going to anyway, then you also don't pay tax on the back end either. Got to be age 70 and a half in order to do this, even though they've moved their RMD age to 73 and soon to be 75. It's still 70 and a half for now because they don't want you to know any of these rules, make it really confusing. But yeah, I would agree with that. And then the other reason um, is if you had all your dollars in Roth, you wouldn't be taking advantage of that automatic deduction you get every single year, your standard deduction. So there's another strategy that delays your uh your required minimum distribution we'll hit that and then we're getting into more questions from fans of the show we've got that more coming up on the wise money show with corhorn financial group this is wise money with corhorn financial group is your rmd required minimum distribution either right now or out there in the future going to create some tax planning challenges is it going to force you to pay more tax on your social security is it going to cause you to pay a higher amount for your medicare part b and part d via irma it's going to create some other challenges for you if so what are some ways to get around it we're helping with that more this is the wise money show with corhorn financial group thanks for being here my name is mike bernard with me in the kfg studios kevin corhorn and josh gregory every episode of the wise money show is on podcast wherever you listen go search the wise money show subscribe to it there follow it there and then rate the program wherever you listen we appreciate we appreciate that. We're hitting uh, nothing but questions from fans of the show. First one's from Bernadette. Hey, is there a way to, are there exceptions to the required minimum distribution? After taking a tangent on how crazy it is that there are exceptions, we then are sharing them. You can keep working. And if you keep working and you have a 401k that has pre-tax dollars in it at your employer, you're exempt from, from a required minimum distribution as long as you're still working. Once you stop working, then that will start again. Roth IRAs, there's no required minimum distribution on those. By the way, if you inherit a Roth IRA from a non-spouse, you've got to withdraw that entire account within 10 years. You've got 10 years to, to draw it out. So yeah, not a required minimum distribution per se, 
but they don't let you just leave the dollars in an inherited Roth forever. Um, qualified charitable distributions are another way to, they basically they count towards your required minimum distribution requirement, RMDR. Uh, that's not a thing, <laughs> by the way. And then the last one is uh, is something called a qualified longevity annuity contract. I'm, we're not experts in these either. Essentially, what it means is you can take up to a certain amount per person and throw it into this insurance contract that has all sorts of restrictions and limitations, and it allows you to delay or avoid RMD on those dollars, but only those dollars because you're giving up all control, essentially. You're giving up a lot of future potential return and all that for a fixed promise by that insurance company to say, once you turn age whatever, 80, 85, we're gonna start paying this thing out to you over your entire life. So five grand a month, 10 grand a month, whatever. And what happens if you pass away while that thing's paying out? Well, if you didn't structure it correctly, you lose. The, the family loses. The insurance company keeps the money right? A lot of these now do have a provision where there is a, a beneficiary, but that means your payment's a lot less, the interest is a lot less. And so I don't know. These are, they're a tool. Yeah, I think they're great for people that like complexity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, so here's the, the and I, I don't want to back up for just a sec here, Mike. So what's the issue with me, okay, so I'm working, and I say I work till 75, and then I think, all right, I'll just I'll just leave the money in the retirement plan, and let the retirement plan automatically do the required minimum distribution, which they'll calculate it and do it. Are there any potential issues with that? Yes. Do tell. Uh, oftentimes, and there some rules have been changed with this recently, but you don't have a lot of control over tax withholdings mm -hmm. on those dollars. And I like that. And so I was serving someone, uh, a friend now who's, who actually said, yeah, I like what I do. I'm, this is back when, when RMD was 70 and a half. And he's like, I'm going to keep working. I don't need the money. I'm going to keep working. He finally retired at 74 or 75 and very conservative investor, we would call him a saver as opposed to an investor, and had his 401k all in a um, in a stable value fund, which really work until they don't and can be complicated themselves. And so we were reaching a point where, eh, listen, you don't need that money in a stable value fund. There are some other options, blah, blah, blah. And plus, when you retire and this RMD starts, you're going to want some unique tax withholding on these dollars and you're not going to have any control over it. And he's like, oh, I don't believe you. <laughs> and very politely said, I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, next meeting came in and said, yeah, I called and yeah, you're right. I, I can't change my withholdings at all. It's locked in. Okay. So even stranger, uh, we started working with some folks and she took over things for her dad because dad couldn't take care of things anymore and he had a 401k with several hundred thousand in it and the 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 requirement distribution was calculated and it they sent him the percentage they sent it from both the pre-tax and the Roth so he was taking a requirement minimum distribution from the Roth portion 
of his 401k used to be wow. required up until right now. If you had Roth dollars and an IRA, no required minimum distribution. But up until the Secure Act 2.0, if you had Roth dollars and a 401k, still had to take an RMD. It's not counted as income to you, but the, the point is, is you're draining an account that you would love to leave intact and let it continue to grow tax-free. Right. He didn't need to take money out of his out of his out of the Roth side of his financial life, yeah. right? Yet yeah. it was forced out. Yeah, yeah. not crazy. Mm-hmm. Work with your certified financial planner, and the, and the big idea is not just hey, what are these rules? And yeah, that's pretty interesting and complicated. No, no, no. Do do the proactive planning all along your financial life. And and if you haven't been up until now, then get started right now. It's going to sound terribly geeky, but it is wildly helpful. A multi-year tax projection, or basically looking right here from where you are right now and looking out and projecting out, what will my tax picture look like next year? And, and well, this year, next year, and the year after that, and so on. And you might say, well, I don't know what my income will be. I don't know what tax rates will be. How helpful will that be? Well, you actually, there's a lot you do know. And you can make an educated assumption on most of the other things and at least maybe not paint an exact reality, but at least get an idea. And that's going to help shape your decision making today and give you more confidence in the choice, whether you should go pre-tax, Roth, or, or take some measures to help minimize and avoid RMD out there in the future. All right. Next question from fan of the show. Let me let me get it queued up here. Is uh, Kent says from Steve left on the YouTube channel. Can the HSA be used to cover Part B and Part D Medicare supplement plans, a- an A plan or a G or an N? Okay, now, wait a second. I just want to be super clear because this is confusing. There's parts and there's plans. And to make it really confusing, they labeled them with letters, both of them, <laughs> whether it's a part or a plan. Okay, so... Part A, Part B, Part D, excuse me, Part C and Part D, those are parts of Medicare, okay? So Part A is is your hospital coverage. Most people pay that while they're working. There's no extra fee when you're, when you're retired for most people. Part B is your doctor visits, all that sort of stuff. And um, there is a charge for that, and that charge is based on your income from the prior, prior year. That's right, from, from two years ago. Part D, I skipped C. Part D is your drug plan. It's the only letter that makes sense. Uh, that's your prescription plan. And then Part C is a completely different version of Medicare altogether, where you've got Part A, you pay the Part B premium, and maybe Part D, but you go with Part C. <laughs> and that and it is bundles it all together. Bundles it yeah. together, essentially, with the aid of a private insurance company. Mm-hmm. Those parts, okay, you might then need a supplement plan, especially if you're doing part A, B, D. You're adding a supplement plan, which a lot of people use G or N, something like that. Part B and part D, you pay for out of your Social Security. There's no choice. It's going to, when you start turning on your Social Security, they're going to deduct the payment for part B and part D right out of your Social Security check. Your supplement plans, you're going to pay out of pocket. But here's the confusing thing. It is an eligible use for your HSA to reimburse yourself for your Part B and Part D premium. You're allowed to. That's eligible HSA use, and that's good news. It is not allowed for you to pay for your supplement from an HSA, even though that payment's out of pocket. I'm not making this up. I quit. 
Yeah, you, you wonder why. Like, is that just an oversight? You know, they just never got around to um, making the rules consistent or or what? But Yeah, I'm saying the rules are made by people who don't live this stuff. I completely agree, Be- Because Kevin. if you were living this stuff, you'd say there's no way. I'm going to simplify this and and make it so that a, a reasonably intelligent, logical person could figure it out. And right now... You can't. You you can't use deductive reasoning to get to the right answer. You just have to know what the answers are. Yeah. So you can reimburse yourself from your HSA for your Part B and Part D premiums. You cannot use your HSA to help cover any supplement plans. Now, what else can you use your HSA for in retirement? We've got that list and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's a list of items that you can use your HSA for in retirement? What are what what are eligible expenses in retirement for that HSA balance you carry in with you? We're helping with that and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. New website is coming, forthcoming soon. Uh, and then all over social media, wherever you are. We are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. We're not on TikTok. There you go. All right. <laughs> we are hitting questions from fans of the show. Uh, fan reached out via the YouTube and said, can I use my HSA in retirement for Medicare Part B and Part D supplement plans like A, G, or N? And we made the very confusing distinction that hopefully is clear. You can use your HSA to reimburse your expenses for part B and part D. And if you're paying part A, I'm assuming they let you do that too. It's going to be pulled right out of your social security. So you can't use your HSA directly to pay for those, but you can reimburse yourself for those. You cannot use your HSA to pay for your supplement plan. What else can you use your HSA for? Okay. I mean, certainly your prescriptions, Mm -hmm. right? Those are eligible. Any deductible or copay or out-of-pocket expenses yeah. for related to, to medical purposes, you can use it for that. And I just I just want to back up just a sec because we're talking about in talking about the HSA, we've got part with with Medicare, you've got parts A, B, D, and a supplement. I can use it to pay for my part B, and I can use it to pay for my part D, and then I can use it for other expenses medical expenses yes yep so that is what i would refer to as kind of your traditional insurance health insurance plan and there are some advantages to having that but to confuse you even further there's also the medicare advantage plan which is let's call that part c and i can use that to pay for my part c premiums a mm-hmm. lot of part mm-hmm. C premiums are fully subsidized by the government. Yeah, they're really low. Right? Yeah. You're going to pay your Part B premium, but they're typically, there's not a big cost for Part C. Mm-hmm. Right. Depends on the plan that you pick, though. And there you go. There's the plan so the, of Part C. Gosh, the, crazy. So, so the, the question that wasn't asked that I will ask and answer is, what do I need to know about funding my HSA after I'm 65. And what you need to know is, as soon as you go on uh, Social Security, 
So you might be working and hit full retirement age. And you say, hey, I'm at full retirement age. My Social Security won't be reduced by my earnings. I've got an HSA eligible plan. I'm contributing to my HSA. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep making my salary. I'm going to keep contributing to my HSA. But I'm going to turn on the faucet and start getting my Social Security money. I'm going to use that to either fully fund my retirement plan or take the kids on a vacation. Do something with it, right? Well, as soon as I do that, can I sign up for Social Security and not Part A? No. Once I sign up for Social Security, I've signed up for Part A. Well, then what else happens? Once I'm signed up for Part A, Part A, I'm retroactively, it's retroactively, retroactively effective for the prior six months. Up until up until 65. So if you turn 65 three months ago, then it backdates to, to, to 65. But still, yes, you need to be aware of that. Yeah, if I'm, if, if I'm 68, though, and, right. I, and I turn I start turning on some of these faucets or moving these levers, all of a sudden, the last six months of contributions were ineligible. And I didn't realize, I mean, I've we've worked with lots of folks that are surprised by that. So there's all kinds of kind of, I'm going to call them traps, not intentional traps, but it's just the incongruency in the way all of this the 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 finan- the medicare financial house was cobbled together mm-hmm. and, and not not ever like reconciled and made simple and smooth that's a good way of describing how it it has evolved over the years that's that's true um you know one one of the uses of an hsa when you get into retirement that i i don't see it happening all that much and maybe it's because long term care premiums long term care insurance premiums have gotten so expensive and, and some people are just opting, okay, I'm going to live with the risk. I, maybe there aren't even really any great options in your state anymore because companies have come and gone and they get into that business and then they get out of it and everything. But if you have a long-term care insurance policy, as I hope you do, um, if it is a tax-qualified policy, and most of them would be if, if it's a legitimate um, long-term care policy, um, the premiums can be paid for out of your HSA. So it's, it's a way for you to kind of pull some dollars out and have an extra pool of money that's coming out to you tax-free, and then you're paying the premiums with those, those tax-free dollars. That's an awesome way to, to do it. Another one, and, and many of you are planning ahead for this down the road because you've heard of the shoebox method mm-hmm. with uh, the HSA. It's something we haven't talked about in a little while, but uh, over the years of your working career, if you are contributing to an HSA and you're actually investing the money in that HSA, treating it like a, a tax shelter, an investment account that can grow for the future, you can pull money back out of that account down the road to reimburse yourself for medical expenses that you've incurred out of pocket along the way. So maybe you, you wrote the check to pay for a prescription instead of using your HSA back when you were 34 years old. Yep. Uh, someday when you're you know, 74 years old, you can pull money out of your HSA to pay yourself back for that. And uh, we call it the shoebox method. We didn't come up with that uh, term, but it's a way of, um, the the theory is you're keeping all your receipts, maybe in a shoebox, maybe you have a spreadsheet or or something digital, but uh, the the point is you've got to have your documentation in place in, in case you're ever called into question on, okay, were those uh, distributions out of the HSA 
actually tax qualified? Are they actually going to be tax free? Well, it depends on if you've got legitimate medical bills to offset them. That's right. That's right. Obviously, lots of planning around that HSA. How do you use it? Should you max it out? Should you should you shoebox? Um, yeah. So so work with your work with your CFP on that. Next question here comes from Jay. Hey, I need some help on the topic of Roth IRAs. My wife and I recently both got promoted, and now our income is nearing the limit for making a Roth IRA contribution. We may possibly be over. So far, we've been dollar cost averaging into our Roths. Should we do something? with the contributions now or wait and see if we need to do some adjustments when we have a better sense of what our income is for 2023 or should we just start contributing to a traditional now great questions guy i i know how i would attack this guys what are your thoughts yeah so when your income goes too high and you can no longer contribute directly to a roth ira you may still have another option available to you and and that's in the form of a backdoor roth contribution and um, I, I say you may have it available. You would have it available. It's just you might not want to use it if you've got lots of other traditional IRA dollars um, already built up. But here's the strategy. You contribute to a traditional IRA, but you don't take a tax deduction. You don't write off that contribution. So it would be after tax money going into the traditional IRA, and then you immediately convert it into a Roth. And so it's it's like a two-step contribution almost. It has to be two steps based on the rule. That's right. Yeah. So we call it a backdoor Roth. It's <laughs> kind of a loophole that uh, a lot of people have wondered if they'd be closing that up. But um, to, to me, doing a uh, backdoor Roth IRA, like this should be one transaction each year that you do. You it has can, to be two. Well, okay. But but I see but Jeez. I see what you, I see what you mean. <laughs> I I mean don't contribute right. a little bit every single month and then right. do a conversion right. you know all in one one shot for sure. Write one check into your or make one deposit into your traditional IRA and then convert it immediately. And after the money's into the Roth IRA, you could trickle it into investments from there mm-hmm. if you wanted to. If if it's important to you to be doing the slow steady. Uh, entry into the market or, or into your investment game plan, that's fine. But the the act of getting it into the Roth IRA when you can no longer contribute directly, it needs to be more planned out. You need to build up the cash, be able to do this all in one shot. That's what your certified financial planner can help with the logistics and the game plan on that. It, I've seen this happen. And so kudos, Jay, for being aware because this rule is confusing. And we'll explain the rule here in just a minute, but being aware that you're reaching that limit and you might need to make a change because if you're not aware and then years go by and you've been doing it on accident and then fixing it is penalizing and extremely cumbersome. So we're going to explain the rule and then a couple more takes on that. So we've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. On the YouTube channel, lots of content. Every episode, this entire episode, you can watch this right now. And uh, and all past shows are right there. And I, th- I think we're over 1,000 videos now in the entire library from all the additional content that we post there all throughout the work week. So make sure you go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, 31,000 subscribers, something like that. 
and uh, lots of content there to help you take your next wise step and take a, a comprehensive view at your financial life, seeing how the seemingly disconnected parts of your financial life are actually connected and how they bring about greater, greater decision-making. So, so head there, check it out. All right, we are into questions from fans of the show, and there's a little bit more on this one we were just tackling. Jay said, need some help with Roth IRAs. Wife and I recently are making more money. Our income is nearing the limit, maybe over the limit, to contribute to Roth IRAs. We've been dollar cost averaging into the Roth. Now, let me just take a quick tangent. What that means is they've been contributing every single month, okay? That dollar cost averaging is a unique term. We love it. And that is where if you invest a consistent amount every month or every paycheck or whatever, then that consistent amount is able to buy more shares, of stock or whatever you're investing in when that price is low. If only we knew when the price was low. Well, prices change. They fluctuate all throughout the day. And and so it this dollar cost averaging allows you to buy more shares when prices are low. And therefore, over time, there's a benefit to that. That's, that's dollar cost averaging. So should we continue doing that or should we make a change? Josh was talking about if you do make more than the limit, you may want to consider doing a backdoor Roth strategy. Great idea. We help folks with it all the time. If you already have pre-tax IRA dollars, you might not want to do that. There's some reasons, so work with your CFP. What is the income limit? That income limit for being able to do a Roth, because this, I see a lot of people that just overlook this. They're just making money and contributing to the Roth, and they just keep it going. Your modified adjusted gross income, so this isn't your salary. It's all of your income sources, and then some slight modifications, all added up, married filing jointly, if that modified adjusted gross income is above $218,000, then you're not able to make a full contribution to the Roth IRA. If it gets above 228, that's right, a very small run rate there, you're not allowed to do any Roth IRA contribution, none. If you're single, those those numbers are 138,000, and then you're completely, uh, unable to make a Roth contribution after 158,000. So those are the the thresholds you need to be aware of. If you're getting close to those, while I just explained what dollar cost averaging is and why we like it, if you're getting close, you got to stop dollar cost averaging. You just have to. If you already have pre-tax IRA dollars, you might not want to just immediately say, well, I'm close. Let's do a backdoor. Instead, I would build the cash up and you have up until April 15th of the next year to make your contribution for last year. So this is where I would have you working with a CFP that's doing tax planning and get your tax return essentially done, just not filed, and see exactly where you stand. And if you stand below, or maybe you can do some things to make sure your income falls below, then you're eligible to do the Roth. Yeah, and and I would look at you know, consider your retirement plan. Is there a way to leverage that tool to either put money in pre-tax to lower your income or just say, all right, I used to be able to make a Roth contribution. I can't make a Roth contribution anymore, but I can still put more money in my retirement plan. We'll put that more money in the retirement plan on the Roth side. So there's all kinds of options. There's another, you know, if you have an HSA eligible plan, you could use that to lower your taxable income. So I would look with your certified financial planner who's doing tax planning for you and say, hey, what what levers do I have my hands on that I can move in one direction or another to either let my income float even higher 
or reduce my taxable income and keep my eligibility where I need it to be. One of our favorite strategies, tax shelter strategy, now this needs to fit within your overall financial life and make the most sense in your situation, but max out that 401k pre-tax, max that thing out and do a Roth IRA. If you and your spouse, you said you guys are both working, both got raises, that's goal achievement money right there. Mm -hmm. It's goal achievement money. So working with your CFP to say, well, what's our tax shelter strategy now that our income's a little bit higher, uh, which could mean our taxes are higher, but also means we've got more more money to go after our financial goals. What's that tax shelter strategy? Love, and when it it makes sense, maxing out that 401k pre-tax and contributing Roth IRA. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question here. A complicated one. This one comes from Patrick earlier in the year, but if you work for a company and make under 145,000, some of you are going to be lost by this question. We'll tie it up here in just a second. If you make for if you work for a company and make less than 145,000, but then you have second income or a side hustle or something like that that increases your income above 145,000. For the company that you work for with the 401k, would you have to make your catch-up contributions to the Roth side of that 401k? All right, mm-hmm. let me let me tie all this together. Here, here's what here's what they're referring to. This uh, is what Patrick's referred to. Um, okay, in the Secure Act 2.0, which was part of the omnibus spending bill passed around Christmas Eve, signed into law right at the beginning of the year, there were about a hundred tax law changes, many of them wildly confusing and complicated but ultimately gives you more choice. Well, this is this happens to be one where you don't have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. This is one of the ones that I don't we don't really love and it's extremely confusing and that is high wage earners are limited in their catch-up contributions. Here's what we mean. Starting in 2024, individuals that make more than $145,000 in wages have to have their catch-up contributions to their 401k go into the Roth side of the 401k. So if you make enough, you make more than 145000 where you might be in a higher tax bracket, this is the IRS's way or the government's way of saying, you can't deduct those catch-up contributions. Those have to go into the Roth. And, and let's make sure we're emphasizing this is related to the catch-up contribution. So yeah. if you are under age 50, you're allowed to contribute to your retirement plan up to $22,500 this year. It goes up every every year. But if you're over age 50, you're allowed to do an additional amount or a catch-up contribution. That's what we're referring to. It happens to be another $7,500. So those who are over age 50, as long as you earn at least 30 grand, you can save $30,000 into your retirement plan at work if it's a 401k or, or a 403b. But this, this gotcha now, this new rule that's come into play is they're limiting your ability to contribute that catch-up contribution, the extra dollars, the 7,500. That has to be Roth if your income goes too high. So we actually did, I think, a full segment on this early when it came out where there weren't all of the interpretations yet. And they're still working on interpretations because one, one, I'll just take a quick tangent. If your 401k doesn't have a Roth contribution feature, apparently is, there is no match or excuse me no catch-up contributions are allowed period whether your income's above or not so there's still some interpretation some stuff they got to work out here but here's the thing it's $145,000 of income last year that is what limits or influences your ability to make pre-tax or required Roth catch-up contributions this next year so it's last year's income 
and it's from that plan employer, that plan sponsor. Therefore, to answer your question directly, Patrick, no, your side income doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can have a whole bunch of side income. You can, you know what? You could even have a third hustle or a fourth hustle, whatever, <laughs> from that employer where you've got that retirement plan, where you're a plan participant, that plan sponsor, your income needs to make needs to be below 145,000 last year. There is a potential loophole if you change employers. And I'm not sure if the future interpretation, future language going will close out that loophole or not, but as it's written by Congress, which they're not tax experts, they sometimes write it in a very backwards way and IRS needs to fix it, but if it's looking at your income from that employer last year and that's it so we'll see i mean we're gosh a couple months away from this actually happening and yeah. uh i i look at all this stuff and and i was even you know thinking about what what you can and can't do and the record keeping expenses for retirement plans is is going to increase it's going to be more expensive to be a participant in a retirement plan that's right it, it is wild all of these changes a hundred or so changes you had a show recently where we talked about that and gosh if that's you you manage the the plan for your team seek help we we are able to help if you'd like so all right that is all the time we have for today on behalf of josh gregory kevin corhorn all of us at kfg have a great weekend we'll see you next saturday for the wise money show with corhorn financial group what if this time I don't have the RMD ages wrong? How about that? What What's better than having the ages wrong? Are arguing about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I I I see you're failing and raise you one. Um, Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.